Here we go, McKenzie. We have reached double digits. It is episode 10 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm Joe Serralo. If you didn't already get the hint, my man Mackenzie Rivers is joining me as always. We are each six and three through the first nine episodes on our best bets. That puts us at 12 and six. You guys are making money hand over fist if you're listening to us. Mackenzie, how you doing, my man? I'm doing well. Cashing two-thirds of our best does make me happy, although it presents an opportunity. Each of us, if we so choose, can go up to 70% on this very podcast. Well, not tonight, but we'll make the picks tonight, and then it'll be resolved later. Or we might fall to the lowly 60% on the season. So the choice is yours, my friend. Um, I know which one I'm aiming for, and that would be seven and three to start off this great the NBA show on RJ Bell's Dream Preview. You know, you know, Mackenzie. Let's just be honest here, right? Sixty percent is really dang good as a sports better, but seventy percent. Now you're working towards the sexy category. I mean, if you're up at seventy percent, <laughs> you are really killing shit. So let's get to it, man. We got to start though, talking about LeBron and the LA Lakers because they squeaked one out against the Utah Jazz team a couple of nights ago, and they looked dead. They looked absolutely done going into the fourth quarter. So, Mackenzie, I have to ask you, did the Lakers show us enough reason to buy into them after that strong fourth quarter performance and that win against Utah? Biggest result of the season in multiple ways. And it's a young season, and NBA regular season only matters so much. But biggest result of the season... You said it. The Lakers were down and out. They were going to fall to two games under 500 with the road-heavy, good opponent-heavy, difficult second half of their season upon them. And 538, I remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, still had them below 30% before that game. Big win. Well, now it's only 34%. We've talked about this. I don't trust those numbers. I think the Trailblazers... Timberwolves and Clippers all should be underdogs to them as far as qualifying for the top eight. Nonetheless, as far as making noise in this year playoffs, the Lakers have everything in front of them and they've done nothing to make anyone optimistic up to this point. Yes, LeBron is scoring, I think, the most since he was like 28 years old, but this team isn't built around LeBron scoring like Allen Iverson in 2001. They don't have... They have bigger aspirations for, of that, first of all. They don't want to get swept by a good team in the playoffs, or lose in five, rather. But this team has to be better than a one-man show, and they're not right now. Yes, the Lakers did win the game, and that's why the result was so big, because just statistically, they have to give themselves some Ws in order to make it. I really think the goal has to be the top four. Avoid that road game in, against a top-four opponent in the first round of the playoffs. But can they build enough around LeBron? They have the Westbrook trade piece. They have Dwight Howard. They have, obviously, Anthony Davis coming back in a couple weeks. Yes, to make the playoffs, but I'm not sure they can really threaten anybody with this with this roster right now. However, all you got to do is put up Ws, and then you give yourself belief. And I think LeBron, in his career, has done more than any other teammate to inspire belief as far as, hey, all we got to do is get into the tournament. So huge win for the Lakers, I think, to end their three-game losing streak and now make it six wins out of their last ten, I think that's a turning point in the season. I think this easily 
We could be writing the obituary right now in the 2021-2022 Lakers. I, I don't think we can do that now. I think everything's in front of them. Not because they played that great, but because they came up with the W. You know, man, it might be a turning point in their season, but I'm not sold yet. And I just want to preface this by saying, you know, I said it a few episodes ago, I still stand by the Lakers finishing in the top six this season. I don't think they'll be in the play-in tournament. I think that they're going to overtake the Nuggets or that the Dallas Mavericks will come back down to earth. They're 25 and 19 right now. They've got, I believe, three games on the Lakers, but they've won nine out of 10. And they're not going to keep that torrid pace up. So I think the Lakers will work their way into the top six, whether they replace Denver or the Dallas Mavericks. But here's why I need to see more out of LeBron's Lakers. Because against the top six teams from each conference, so the 12 teams that would be safe from the play-in tournament should the playoffs start tomorrow, they're currently 5-11 and straight up and just 6-10 and against the number. Now, what is that against the number record of 6-10 and tell me? It tells me that, that, that those losses to the top six teams in each conference have not been particularly close. Now, this Utah game, this Utah game is a step in the right direction because their defense was encouraging. Now, can that be the norm, this defensive performance that we just saw? Because this Lakers team has allowed the fourth most points per game in the NBA this season. That is really bad. So seeing them hold the league's top scoring offense to 20 points beneath its per game average, Utah, Best offense in the league, 115 points per game. Lake Show held them to 95. They held their league-high fourth quarter average of 28.3 points per game to just 17 in the fourth quarter. And they held Donovan Mitchell scoreless when he was on the court in the fourth quarter. Those are all impressive, encouraging feats. I just have to see more. And we're going to have an opportunity to see more because the Lakers play host to Indiana, and then they hit the East Coast for a killer six-game road trip. That includes trips to Miami, to Brooklyn, to Philly, and to Charlotte among the you know Orlando and Atlanta games mixed in there. So this trip should really set the tone for the rest of the Lakers season, for the Lakers second half. To me, even though it's tough, it's a six-game uh, road trip against some really formidable opponents, you gotta go four and two. It really shocks me to hear that fourth worst defense so far this season because all the players that they've got, they may be old, but they're they're decent defensive players, Avery Bradley, Trevor Ariza, Dwight Howard. If they can do one thing, they can play defense. But in this game where they held the Jazz, I mean, the Jazz, best offense in the league by far so far this season, had everybody in the in the, in the the fold go bare back for his second game. So it wasn't like he was just coming back out of the crypt. They scored 25 in the first quarter, 21, 32 in the third, they kind of pop, and then 17. But it wasn't those old heads that I was talking about that really was part of that fourth quarter. So the defense was strong throughout. So give credit to the Arizas and the Howards for keeping them in the game. But Stanley Johnson came off the bench and he was plus 18 from the field. Reeves, the the rookie, plus 13. Malik Monk, who's had some big games recently, scored 14 off the bench. He was plus 17. So the question is offense, in my opinion. The question is not can you have these old heads I mean, let me actually let me rephrase it. I don't know what the what the answer is. Frank Gogol is on the very much hot seat and he's getting paid a lot of money. But the question becomes, can you get by with LeBron doing everything on offense and trying to have Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard put together a, a top half of the league defense and try to win that way? Or do you have to rely on more offensive pieces like Malik Monk and 
you know, let let LeBron maybe take a backseat on offense and maybe get a little less limelight, do a little more of the dirty work, be a little more Draymond and a little less Magic Johnson. What do you think is the Lakers' best starting five right now? Obviously, Davis coming back is a big addition. But to turn this around, they're 22 and 22 right now on the season. To be in the top four, which I said was should be their goal, at least in the top six to avoid the plan, what do you think the Lakers should do roster-wise as far as what who Vogel puts on the court? I mean, that's tough because they've mixed and matched so many times this year, both by their own doing and because they've been forced to do so. But to me, it's like you you have their big three, right? And I know Russ has you know played poorly this year and we've crushed him. He's still a part of that big three. He's not going to be benched, right? They're, they're not going to pull a Knicks with Kemba Walker and bench him for like eight games. So you've got Russ, LeBron, and when he's back, Anthony Davis. Now the question is, who do you put around them? My bias and fan earlier in the year was telling me, get Carmelo Anthony some starts, get him more minutes. But truthfully, I think in that sixth man role, that's where he's most effective. I do want to see a bigger Lakers lineup. I do want to see Dwight starting most nights, not just because AD is hurt and he has to, but because he allows AD to play his true position and play the four, and Dwight can man the post defensively. He can be an old school center, worry about rebounds, altering shots, blocking shots, and let AD do the finesse work and stop banging bodies because at this point in his career, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. Anthony Davis is fragile. So I like Dwight in that five. And then allowing Melo to be the sixth man, I like Malik Monk starting. I mean, to me, Malik Monk has really shown at times this season. He has stepped up and, you know, he's been the number two scorer of this Lakers team behind LeBron when he's had to, when AD has not been on the court, when Melo has not had his best night, when Russ has been absolutely MIA, nowhere to be found. Malik Monk has stepped in and not night to night, but on several occasions, he's been their number two. And so I think him and Dwight are the uh, are the starting pieces to go with LeBron, Russ, and AD. And I think Melo in that six-man role gives them the best shot moving forward. I like the Lakers minus four and a half tomorrow right now at the Indiana Pacers. Dwight Howard, he's one thing. He's a role player. 22 minutes in the game, but three steals, two blocks. He is that central force. And that Indiana Pacers team just lost Miles Turner. I think two effects. One, he's by far their best defensive player, one of the best rim protectors in the league. DeMonte Sabonis lacks all of the interior protection on the inside that that team gets with Turner. Since he's been out, they've been blown out by the Suns and then blown out by the Clippers, a team that has found very little success. And then you look at the Lakers. They just have guys like Howard. Ariza, he was one for eight against the Jazz, one for six from three. If he's decent on offense, if he can hit three for six some nights, three for eight some nights, He's a decent piece, and I just think in this, we're going to talk about the Bucks and the Warriors, two teams that are struggling. I think the Lakers are the opposite right now. I think this is when they turn the corner, and I think the Indiana Pacers have nothing to play for. They're looking at trades for the next month. That's what their coach and front office is going to be focused on. So don't love the four and a half. Obviously, Lakers play a lot of close games. Would love it if it was four or three and a half, of course. But, yep, I'm going to throw that out as a bonus bet. Lakers minus four and a half hosting the Pacers uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%, man. And I was thinking the same thing. Three and a half would be so much nicer to look at than four and a half there. Um, but at the end of the day, is that point going to make a difference? It shouldn't. It could. It very well could. But it shouldn't. Uh, because Indiana's packing it in, right? We talked about the Hawks last episode packing it in. They've come out and lost both games since. 
as I predicted. Uh, I think Indiana right now is kind of going the same route. The Hawks did it after a trade. Indiana, I think, packing it in after this injury. Now I think the trade floodgates will open for the Pacers. But, you know, Mackenzie, you've got the Lakers, who won the NBA championship two years ago in this year, are underperforming. How about the defending NBA champs, who are also underperforming, the Milwaukee Bucks? What's broken with the Bucks, Mackenzie? Milwaukee Bucks, the consistent team of the last three years, kind of team that just, kind of like the Jazz are right now, Sands the Lakers lost, just shows up every night. They've lost six of eight, and Giannis has been back, yeah, every single one of those games. It is the craziest losing streak you can imagine because a casual fan would think the Milwaukee Bucks are number one power rated team in the league. Over the last eight games, they went to Brooklyn, they blew out the Nets, wire-to-wire winner, and then they hosted the uh, number one power rated team in the league by most closer observers of the league. They blew out the Warriors 30, by 37 points in the first half. So if you kind of squint your eyes, you could say this Milwaukee Bucks team is right where they want to be. However, can't excuse six losses out of eight. They've never lost three straight games to the Raptors. You were right about the Hawks faltering. They've lost, they had lost two in a row. But they ended their 10-game home losing streak to this Milwaukee Bucks team, 121 to 114. And a lot of times we talk about uh, what's signal, what's noise. To be honest, looking at these box scores, I think this is sick. This is this is noise. I think the Milwaukee Bucks. Think about this: the Atlanta Hawks could either have lost 10 straight home games, or the Milwaukee Bucks could have lost six out of eight. You, we couldn't, or 11 straight home games for the Hawks. One of those streaks had to be continued and one had to end. You ask me, the Hawks had a lot more motivation to keep battling in that January in Atlanta. It's not it's not hot Atlanta in January. It's kind of 40 and, and dreary. Eventually, you want to show something to your fans. So, the, yeah, the Bucks lost to a team that hadn't won a home game in like a month and a half. Those teams tend to eventually win one. The Raptors, again, they've been playing really well. They have the guard play that I think there might be a bad matchup for the Bucs. That said, losing two games to a team that's going to make the playoffs in the last eight, no big deal. Same thing with the Hornets, LaMelo Ball. They've now lost three straight to the Hornets. He's a point guard that has gives them a lot of trouble. Now is John Morant going to be that same kind of thorn in their side, or is the motivation enough where this championship-caliber team, at least they were last year, will – rally the troops and end up getting the win what do you, what's your first blush of the game i've seen right now posted six and a half you know not the, not the most liquid market so by tomorrow it hits vegas it might be a different number five and a half to seven these things tend to fluctuate but uh first blush what is your take the bucks minus six and a half hosting the grizzlies well you know what intrigues me the most about this game mckenzie is going to be the third quarter line because the milwaukee bucks over this streak have been one of the most abysmal third quarter teams we've seen in the NBA all year. In their past three games, they are minus nine points per, points per third quarter. Wow. I mean, over the stretch, they have just been absolutely bullied coming out of the locker room. And not only that, but bullied on the glass. You know, they're two and six, both straight up and against the spread in their last eight But in their last six, since they released Boogie Cousins, which of course we've talked about, we've made a big deal about, they're just two and four, and they have seen their rebound differential go from plus 2.3 to, in the six games without Boogie, minus 1.5 
boards per game. They're getting bullied in the glass. They're getting taken advantage of right out of the locker room in the third quarter. They look tired by halftime. You know, it seems like you made light of some of the opponents that they've had and some of the, you know, you made excuses for the Bucks losing some of those games, but I'm sorry. Over an eight-game stretch, two losses to Toronto, not good. Two losses to Charlotte, not good. A loss to Atlanta and a loss to Detroit, all not good. I know that they've beaten Brooklyn, they've beaten Golden State, but out of those six losses, man, they should at least be four and two against those opponents. You raised some good points. I mean, to go game by game and say, yeah, this guy should beat him for this reason, eventually you should win because of reasons on your own team. And you mentioned, I think, what would you say, minus eight per game? Is that on the season in the third quarter? No, so over their last three, they're minus nine points per third quarter. And over their last eight, over this two and six stretch, they're at minus 7.2 points per third quarter. And that's that's a bigger sample size than three. That's eight games they're being outscored by over seven points per game in the third quarter. It's funny that you mentioned the third quarter because I've noticed this trend on in the in the opposite situation. Just to put numbers on it, in the first half, the Bucks have been the excellent dominate three ball and defense demon defense that's demonized teams the last couple of years with incredible scoring margins. They're 28 and 18 ATS in the first half. They have a plus 10 first half net rating. So, you know, that's per hundred possessions, probably winning by five. I mean, that's their first half scoring margin, about five points per game in the first half, which is huge. Second half, they're 21st in the league net rating. Champion. In, in a league where the champions are top five every year and you know exactly who's going to make the final four usually, and there's very little parity, the champions in the in the crunch time, in the second half of games this season, per 100 possessions, they're losing two and a half points per game. That's 21st in the league. And if you bet them every game this season, you're only cashing 43% of your tickets. So... Without further ado, I'm not sure if this is uh, that time, but it is that time. My best bet is in this game. Backs against the wall, losers six of eight. I like this matchup for the Grizzlies because, I mean, I'm sorry. I like this matchup for the Bucks because the one way to beat the Bucks usually is elite perimeter play that leads to threes. Grizzlies not an elite three-point shooting team, so I like the Bucks. Obviously, they want to win. They want to respond to this losing streak. They've beaten the Nets and the Warriors, two marquee teams getting a lot of pub every year. The Grizzlies are kind of that premier team, tip of the tongue on everybody's mouth right now team. I think they want this win. I do worry about their second half struggles. I do worry without Drew Holiday. I think he will be back for this game. Maybe not 100%. Uh, the pace that they, that, they, that they manage, end of game scenarios, second half scenarios after everybody's seen, everybody's sets. I think Drew Holiday will help fix that once he gets back going. But right now I want to isolate the first half. Milwaukee Bucks will be minus three and a half is the, pro- is the projection at six and a half. Could be three, could be four, depending where that line settles. But we're going to grade it at three and a half. Milwaukee Bucks in the first half, hosting the Grizzlies. Okay, Bucks minus three and a half first half. I don't have an issue with that. I will say, if you're going to take that though, if you have the opportunity, if your book is showing a line and allows it, hop on the Grizzlies, in the third quarter. Anything Memphis minus one and a half or less, assuming that Memphis will actually probably be an underdog in the third quarter, 
Hop on the Grizzlies all the way up to minus one and a half in the third quarter. However, that's not my best bet. That's a bonus bet. We're going to circle back to this game. Wait, hold on, hold on. I just would like to point out real quickly, we have done this before where we've taken opposite sides and both cashed in the same game. We might have a little inkling. Last time we had, I had the Nuggets in the first half. You had Jazz for the game, cash, cash. I'm going to call our shot. The Bucks are going to win by 10 in the first half, but it's going to be tied entering the fourth quarter because the Grizzlies are going to be rallying back. Grab that bet at halftime. I like it. Joe's bet, third quarter on the Grizzlies. I love it. I love it. That's my bonus bet. I'm going to make you all wait a little bit for my best bet, though, because there is a jam-packed slate of NBA games tonight, this Wednesday night, and there's one more in particular I want to get to before I deliver my best bet, which, yes, is also tied in to this Grizzlies-Bucks game. But let's stick in Milwaukee's division because the Chicago Bulls are headed to Cleveland to take on the red-hot Cleveland Cavaliers. McKenzie, these two teams could not be going in any more opposite directions at the moment. You've got the Bulls on one end who have lost four straight and lost five out of six. You've got the Cavs on the other end who have actually won five straight and gone three, one, and one against the number in that five-game stretch. They're neck and neck in the standings now. Chicago, despite this four-game losing streak, still barely holding on to that one seed in the Eastern Conference. And the game is practically a pick 'em. I believe the Cavs right now at home are favored by one on the early line. Mackenzie, what are you looking for in this game? How do you see this thing unfolding? God damn it. I gotta I gotta stop sharing my my power ratings on Twitter. I make this game exactly a pick 'em. If anything, uh I guess there's value. You said Cleveland is minus one, correct? Cleveland minus one on FanDuel right now. <sighs> I guess there's value by my power ratings on Chicago, but it's going to be rocking in Cleveland. To believe it or not, they care about this rivalry, you know, in LeBron's day and before. In Jordan's day, this rivalry matters in Cleveland, so I might bump up my usual two-point home court advantage in this game. Chicago has been reeling. I, I don't know if they have, uh, if they're a momentum team, a team that, because they started off so on fire with Zach Levine, DeRozan, and Ball all shooting so well. Have they all improved greatly, or was it one of those things where they all looked at each other and said, we can do something here, started off kind of on fire, you know, gasoline lit underneath them. I kind of said that about both teams at different points in this season, so don't see a bet here. Cleveland, I've been ticking up in my power ratings. I never, I, I make a potential rating for every team in the league, thinking with these talent, Everything clicks, these improvements. Very rarely does a team actually have a power rating higher than my potential end of the year of everything clicks power rating. But that's where we are with Cleveland right now, an above average team. I argued very vehemently that they would not be that because they don't have enough good players. But Darius Garland has continued to impress. And Evan Mobley, Nate Duncan said this, credit to him. He's an astute scout of the league. Evan Mobley, best defensive rookie since the great Tim Duncan. Quite a statement, and I can't disagree with it. That is a major statement. And yeah, Mackenzie, it's pretty funny listening to you talk about Cleveland now because earlier in the year when we were first doing this show, I was all over riding the Cavs, and you were like, eh, I'm not sold yet. I can't bump them up in my power rankings yet. <laughs> then the Cavs hit the skids, and now they're hot. They've won five straight, yeah. and now they're earning your respect. And you know what? I think it's well-deserved because they've done this without Ricky Rubio without Colin Sexton, 
you know, bits and pieces of it have come pre-Garland's return. And, you know, with Mobley in and out. I mean, Cleveland has really, you know, they, they've rode the wave because it has not been pretty to get to this point. But they've really handled adversity surprisingly well. It, you know, it speaks to their coaching and it speaks to the hearts of these young guys. Because with a roster this young, it would be easy to pack it in when the going got tough. You mentioned the coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, up to third favorite, tied for second favorite with the Bulls' Billy Donovan, just behind, and they're both 4-1, to one, just behind Monty Williams at 3-1. to one. If you ask me between those three, it's no question. Billy Donovan got a lot of new pieces in Chicago along with him, so it's hard to say is DeRozan the MVP or is Donovan the coach of the year most improved. Monty Williams, the Suns are just as good as they were last year. So didn't he win it last year? He won like one of them. He won like the Golden Globes of Coach of the Year awards or something. <laughs> and Thibodeau won the real one. Yeah. So to me, J.B. Bickerstaff, bonus, you know, flyer, plus 400 makes a lot of sense. I think I think he's closer to like 40, 50% to win it. So J.B. Bickerstaff, plus 400 Coach of the Year, Cleveland Cavs head coach. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's the only bet that makes sense for Coach of the Year, right? Yes, Monty has been great. But like you said, I mean, they were in the finals a year ago. Uh, yes, Billy Donovan and the Bulls have been great. He's got multiple All-Stars on his roster, right? Cleveland has actually gone over their projected win total on the season already. Folks, we're not even close to being out of January. We've got two weeks left in the month, and Cleveland is over their entire projected win total. Fastest team to eclipse its projected win total uh, since the 2013 Phoenix Suns. To me, that's Coach of the Year material right there. I got to say, though, when you mentioned those numbers, the Arizona Cardinals, when they were 9-1, and one, eclipsed their 8.5 win total, and Kingsbury was everybody's coach of the year, and now everybody wants them fired. So just goes to show you, you know, <laughs> keep plugging it. I was thinking about this on the, on the right end today. The difference between, like, I mean, the Hawks had to win, had to beat the Bucks and send them on their losing streak in order to not lose their 10th in a row. Like you could argue you lose 10 in a row at home, Nate McMillan, you're fired. I don't care what you did last year. The different, And then you could argue that if Coach Bud lost last year in Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals to Nate McMillan, then he would have been done. The difference between making it in the league and being a champion is, is razor thin on, in both accounts. So just goes to show you, J.B. Bickerstaff, I mean, I think you'll get some more leash than Kingsbury's been given. I mean, he's his third year. This is your first year, first full year. Uh, but uh, keep plugging away. Keep your nose to the grindstone. You never know in this professional sports business of ours where the winds will turn. Yeah, and it's funny because you know you mentioned that what's more likely the Bucks keep losing or the Hawks snap that uh, that losing streak at home. And I really went against that logic, saying that no, Milwaukee is just underperforming. Right? There's no excuse to have lost to Atlanta and Charlotte twice and the Raptors twice and Detroit once. But I'm actually going to use that logic with this game because it's a virtual pick em, right? Cavs minus one. And I like the Bulls because I don't see them losing a fifth straight, especially in a rivalry game against the Cavs. Bulls are now fighting for their lives. They had a pretty comfortable hold. I mean, look, a lot of season left. Nothing's comfortable. But they had a couple games up on other teams in the East uh, as the one seed. Now the Bulls are barely holding on to that top seed. They, of course, want to hold it the rest of the year. I think they're in borderline desperation mode. And at the end of the day, while Garland has been hot, while Evan Mobley has been great, the Chicago Bulls are the team with better players, right? And that's what it comes down to in this league. 
You said it minutes ago. It's a star-driven league, and the Chicago Bulls have star power. I I think that they're going to end their losing streak, right? Something's got to give eventually. Cavs have been riding high, five straight wins. The Bulls, though, their backs are against the wall. Four straight losses. I think the tides are going to turn with this game. Indeed, this league is 82 games long, and it's not uncommon for one team to really want a particular game. Backs against the wall, like you said, is their motivation because the Bulls do have the better team. My power ratings, even in Cleveland, makes this a pick So already that's one point of value on the Bulls. So the question I have is, is there enough motivation with this five-game losing streak to make it uh, two points of value, which is my threshold as far as it's a good bet? Very possibly. Uh, I, you know, I would have to dig in to, to see, you know, what, what other values, what other matchup values I would see. But yeah, one point of motivation to end this losing streak in a division rivalry game sounds about right to me. So I like your side in this one. Awesome. Well, Mackenzie, you've already given out your best bet. I think it's the earliest best bet in the uh, 10 episode <laughs> history of us doing RJ Bell's dream preview, the NBA edition. You've got the Bucks minus three and a half first half against the Memphis Grizzlies. Should I circle back and uh, disclose my best bet? The people can't wait. Six and three on the season. That's 67% rounding up. What you got for them? All right. Well, you've got the Bucks minus three and a half in the first half as your best bet. I threw in a bonus bet that you agreed with on the Grizzlies in the third quarter. As long as it's minus one and a half or even more favorable, I believe that they'll be underdogs. My best bet is the Memphis Grizzlies plus six and a half on the game in Milwaukee. Here's why. The Memphis Grizzlies on the road, 15 and five against the spread. The Memphis Grizzlies as underdogs, 14 and six against the spread. And the Memphis Grizzlies as road dogs, 10 and four against the number. All three of those marks are top two in the NBA in their respective categories. You look at Milwaukee, eight and 14 against the number at home, six and 12 against the number as a home favorite. And like we've said several times already, they are just two and six against the number in their last eight. I mentioned the rebound differential since cutting Boogie Cousins. They were plus 2.3 boards per game. Since losing him, they're minus two boards per game. That's huge, especially because the Grizzlies are the best team in the NBA at scoring second chance buckets. 17 and a half second chance points per game. It leads the league. You know, every point's going to be crucial in this one. And with the Grizzlies getting six and a half, I love them as a road dog. That's why they're my best bet. Can't lie. I don't like that because I have the first half. So, you know, odds are if your your bets win, my bets lose and vice versa. But my power rating support your play. This game is only five by my power rating. So six and a half is value on the Grizzlies. So I can't, I don't disagree with you. I just think the motivation factor at home, Milwaukee wants to, you know, put the crown back on and set little John Morant back in his place. Giannis does. So I like the matchup for Milwaukee, but the power ratings support your side. And it'll be interesting. We are both six and three ATS. I feel a little competition. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're 67% because more people are going to listen to what you have to say, meaning more people listen to what I have to say. But I would like to be 68% if you end the year on 67% would be my goal. So I love it. I love a little healthy competition. And uh, let's go. It'll be an interesting Wednesday night. Hey, I'm with you 100% on that, my man. I root for you, but at the end of the day, I want to be, you know, if we do 30 episodes, I want to be 27 and three. I want you to be 26 and four. By the way, (laughs) Drew Holiday looking doubtful for this matchup. 
that is going to play a huge factor in Milwaukee being able to limit or maybe even shut down John Morant. Drew Holiday, one of the best defensive point guards in the game. If he's out, Ja could have a field day in this one. That I can't lie. That that I, I had anticipated with the late scratch versus Atlanta that Drew Holiday would if limited play. So that does that does help your side hurt my side. However, I didn't I didn't factor Holiday back into this game. I don't think even if he did play, he'd be at 100%. So, yeah, John Morant's going to go wild on him in the second half. But in the first half, they've been as dominant as any team that we've seen the last three years. Plus 10 net rating. I like it. I like my side still. But, hey, important factor and important to tell the people all the best information. So, yeah, Jura Holiday out makes it more likely that the Grizzlies cover the six and a half. That's just a fact. Absolutely, man. Let's have a hell of a night. Let's go get them, guys. Thanks for tuning in. This was episode 10 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition, with myself, Joe Serralo, and your guy, Mackenzie Rivers. Thank you.